hey, this is cool. This is way cool, all right? You, we think that we just come in, you know, we live in Nacogdoches. We just come in. It's kind of our crew. Uh, you guys know that we podcast, right? You might know that we do a little podcast. We put these online for you, uh, you know, if you want to go back uh, and check out what we've been, what we've been talking about. Um, we've, got, we've got them all listed on fhrevive.com. This is so cool. I found out a few weeks ago, we've got a faithful group that gathers and listens to us in Pittsburgh. Isn't that fun? So this, so this morning, not this morning because we're not live, but here in a few days, uh, Alicia and her crew from, uh, from Pittsburgh will gather and, uh, and listen to what's going on. So I just thought it'd be cool if we said hey to Alicia. So will you guys just on three say hey, Alicia, one, two, three. Hey, Alicia. There we go. All right. So Alicia in Pittsburgh, what's up? Uh, that's kind of cool. Uh, anyway, um, so let's, uh, let's get into it this morning. Um, I've got just, th- this is a strange time of year, um, you know, with, with Thanksgiving and with Christmas, people get kind of crazy this time of year, and um, I-, I wanted to just kind of pause and make sure that as believers, we have the right mentality going into uh, the holiday season, right? Thanksgiving and Christmas are typically times when, uh, when charity is, is, uh, is blown up, Right? Charity is emphasized at this time of year uh, really more than any other time, and I want to make sure that, uh, that we have the right frame of mind going into this time of year, because my fear is sometimes that we get sucked into this idea uh, that charity is, and charity alone, is the gospel. And I just want to tell you it's not. Uh, and I, so I want to talk about what, is it, what does it look like uh, for us as believers? What does it look like to minister to our community? Because believe it or not, that's what you've been called to do. It's not an accident that you live in this city. I tell you this all the time. It's not an accident that you go, uh, that you are where you are uh, every few uh, few weeks. Uh, whether that's in a in a job, whether you're in a classroom, uh, no, study group, uh, wherever you're at, it's not an accident. The Lord has put you in that place. Uh, and some of you live in Lufkin, some of you in Nacogdoches, some of you in surrounding communities. It is not an accident that you live where you live. But what does it look like for a believer? to minister within their community? What is the lens that we have to put on? And it has been a long, long, long time since I have used the whiteboard, and I have missed it so much. Uh, so this morning, we're going we're gonna to draw a little bit. Um, so that's what we're going to look at today is what does it look like as a believer to view the world around us? Because I don't want us to get into this holiday season and get wrapped up in uh, charity for charity's sake. I want to I know what does it look like for a believer uh, to actually bring uh, uh, health and healing to their community. Is that cool? You guys good with that? That's what we're going to look at this morning. All right, so uh, to do that, we're going um, to listen to, uh, or we're going to watch a video. Um, this is a guy, I don't know how many, how many of you uh, uh, know the name Propaganda. Uh, there's, okay, so a few of those, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this guy, he's, he's uh, I discovered... I don't know, it's not like he just came around, but uh, I, I discovered some of his stuff. There's a very famous video, I guess famous, it's got a lot of hits on YouTube, where he does this deal about the gospel. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of where I, where I keyed into some of the things he was saying. And I ran across this, uh, this I don't know what you call it, spoken word deal that he does. Uh, I ran across this a few months ago, and just really, uh, it's really stuck with me. He says some things uh, about culture that I think are really, really, really good for us to hear. So I want to I watch that in just a minute. Um, he, he just talks about what, what is culture, how do we attack 
uh, culture? What, how are we a part of culture? And I want to I watch that. So it's a four-minute video, so, and he says a lot, okay? So just, uh, you're going to have to really, uh, really focus in. Uh, but before we do, I just wanted to give, uh, give a pause and let us just ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes this morning because uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say some things. I want to push you a little bit uh, just in your, in your view of, of charity and in your, in your view of good deeds and your view of, uh, of humanitarianism. I'm, I'm going to push you a little bit. Um, and so we just, I just want to wait on the Lord and just be open to what he might want to say to us this morning. So uh, let's, just take, uh, let's just take a pause. Uh, take about 15, 20 seconds. Uh, and, and seriously, just ask the Lord to, uh, to speak to your heart. Is that cool? Everybody cool? We locked in. I feel like we got a strange start this morning. We cool? All right. So let's take about 15 seconds. Ask the Lord to speak to your heart. God, we thank you for your presence here this morning. Holy Spirit, we welcome you and we invite you to do what you said you want to do, which is lead us into all truth. God, we need truth this morning. We just cry out for transformation in our heart and our lives. God, we pray that you would open our eyes and open our ears. God, I, I just know for me, I don't want to live. Uh, I don't want to live in reaction to the world around me. But I want to live by seeing and hearing my Father. I want to live by revelation. I want to live a life in obedience. So God, keep me from being stirred just by the things around me. Keep me from being moved by my circumstances and keep my attention, keep my focus on you. Keep my focus on heaven that I might do what I see my Father do. And I pray the same uh, across this room. God, that our desire would not be to appease our flesh, would not be even to appease the flesh of others, but that our desire would be to seek your heart, to seek your will, that we might do what we collectively see our Father doing, and in that we might be effective in our community. In that we might be effective in our families. But I just pray for each of these uh, students as they are preparing many of them to return to an environment with their family. God, I pray that they would lock into the fact that they have been put into their families for a reason as well. And that some, for some of them, they are the hope of their family. They are the hope. They are the ones that you have placed there to speak your name. They are the ones that you have placed there to bring light in a dark place. And so God, I pray that our hearts would turn quickly to obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to watch this video here in just a second. Uh, again, it's this guy named uh, Propaganda. He's a, uh, a musician and a poet, um, and he's going to talk about culture. Uh, he may say some things that, uh, anyway, you'll just have to watch. Um, but, but what I want to focus on is, again, really this time of year, more than any time of year, uh, the, the lines of uh, socioeconomic status are drawn, Right? The, the, the highlight between rich and poor, uh, between uh, upper class, middle class, and, uh, and, and the poor of our community. These lines are drawn so distinctly during this time of year, and uh, we get really focused. If, if you're, uh, we get really focused on those lines, and the problem is that those lines are being drawn strictly in the sense of material things, are they not? Are you with me? Those lines get drawn. We look at different classes of people based on simply what materially they are able to gain or have at any given time. You with me? 
And I think it's a very uh, flawed view for the believer. It's a very distracting viewpoint for the believer. And, I, and I'm, what I want to push today and through maybe part of this video, what we'll begin to talk about uh, is that if we're going to be effective in our community, those lines have to go away. Those ways in which we view people, the ways in which we view society cannot be the same way uh, that the, the world views them. Cannot be the same way as people are, uh, are classified uh, according to culture. If we fall into that trap and then attempt to minister from that trap, we will be ineffective. You with me? I just, I'm going to ask for a lot of nods today. I just want to make sure you're with me. All right? We will be ineffective if our ministry takes place from the same position as our culture uh, classifies people, okay? And so that's what I want to push against uh, a little bit today. So let's, uh, Josh, are we going to be cool on the video? Are we good to go? Let's go ahead and watch that, and then we'll talk about it. So how should we view the world around us? What should it look like as believers to approach our city? What should it look like for us during a time uh, where lines are drawn as heavily as they are in this time of year? What does it look like then for us to approach our community? And instead of doing it uh, based on the uh, views of the world, based on the labels that have been put on people, based on material things, what does it look like for us then to understand how do we bring actual, authentic gospel healing, not just uh, individually, but to a city? How do we minister to our city? And see, that's the catch, that everything you do corporately has to first be done individually. So you'll never understand how to, uh, you'll never understand, well, let's just come back a little bit. Anybody want revival? Anybody? Like, if you want one, raise your hand. (laughs) Yeah, so... What is revival? We typically think of revival as this corporate uh, move of God, right? Where whole cities, whole, uh, whole nations are changed. It's happened before. It, it can happen again. It's happened in this nation. We always want revival. But to, to understand how revival takes place, we've got to understand that revival cannot occur corporately unless it first occurs individually. Revival can't take place in our city unless revival first takes place in you. Unless, God, unless there's a radical move of God in your life, there will never be a radical move of God in this city. And it's the same thing with this approach. We can't understand how to minister to a community unless we first understand how am I to minister to an individual. Because the way in which we approach an individual will be the way in which we approach our city. Are you Okay. Less okay than the first time I asked, but we're still there. So whatever happens corporately has to first happen individually. One of the things he said, which um, is really the highlight of, of what I want to hone in on, is if, if we are to move past this idea, which it's necessary, we have to start with this assumption, there is no such thing as us and them. There is no such thing as us and them. Those lines are drawn simply, again, based on uh, material things or, what, or intellectual things or whatever, whatever other way you want to uh, draw those lines. Those lines are drawn in, uh, in the mind of man. There is no us in them. There is only we. 
There is only us. There is no separation between you and the poorest of poor. There is no separation between you and the richest of rich. Those are simply designations based on material things. There is only us. There is only we. And what he said was, if that is true, then we are part of the problem. Then we are part of this community that we say we want to bring healing to. We'll understand. If we're going to say that, that means we're going to incorporate ourselves in that populace. We are part of this city. We are part of culture. So if we're part of it and problems exist, how could we possibly believe that we are somehow, within and of ourselves, are going to create a solution? Are you guys with me? How is it that we've somehow believed, even as the church, that somehow that we are going to come up with a creative idea to minister to them and be the solution that they need? You see this. You see the problem with this thinking. If there's no divide and if we are all we and us, then we cannot possibly be the solution to our own problem. One of the illustrations I think says this the best is, uh, this guy was talking about something com- completely different, but he said, how, how in the world do you expect a microwave to run if you were to unplug it and try to plug it into itself? Right? Life can't be brought through the power of the ones that need life. Right? We cannot, we in and of ourselves cannot provide life. We can't, we can't gain that. We can't come up with that in and of ourselves in order to give it away. There has to be a solution that is outside of me and you because we are us. You guys still with me? I know it's early and we're doing a lot of we and us and them and they and you okay? There has to be a different solution and we know, we know what that solution is but I'm afraid that it's just become rhetoric and not actual practice. I'm afraid that our rhetoric is, I know what the solution is, it's the gospel. I know what the solution is, it's Jesus, but we still act as if we're going to somehow do that. And if we're going to make this confession that the hope of our city, that the hope of the, of the person that you're talking to who is battling uh, depression, the hope uh, of somebody who can't seem to, uh, to quite figure out how to get out of darkness, the hope for their life is not your best idea. And it's certainly not you telling them in and of yourselves about Jesus. I know it sounds weird. Wait, what? It's not me telling them about Jesus? We need an exterior solution. We need something that is outside of us. And if our gospel message is simply rhetoric, it will not bring life because there's no power in it. It is a, it is a uh, fancy uh, pattern of speech put together in your soul that will not bring life. So here's where we're going to draw. You guys ready? The normal problem-solving approach Let's just, draw, let's just draw this. You know what I'm drawing, body, soul, spirit. Can I get an amen if I draw this? <laughs> the Bible calls this right here the natural man. With the spirit dead, this is, this is not a believer. If you're only functioning with the body and the soul, and our soul is our mind, come on, where yet? And emotions. Our mind, will, and emotions. It's where we think, feel, and decide. 
And the Bible says that before we're saved, before we have the life of Christ in us, all we function with is our body and our soul. This is easy. This is just our physical. It's what hurts when you pinch it. This is a little deeper mind, will, and emotions, how we think, feel, and decide. And as a natural man, all we are capable of doing is reacting to the world around us. So you see how this plays out, right? We've got a circumstance We've got a circumstance that comes at us from the outside world. Somebody comes up to you and blindsides you and says, hey man, I'm really, uh, I'm really struggling with, uh, and we'll keep on this vein, I'm really struggling uh, with, with depression. I've been, uh, I've been battling it off and on. What is, what is normally our, what we first, uh, we first do? What do we begin to do? How do we process the information that's being given us? Anybody ever been in this spot? Somebody's just dropped a bomb on you? Like, it doesn't have to be depression, but just something that you weren't expecting, right? Anybody? Do you guys, like, have conversations with real people? Okay. So somebody just drops a bomb on you, say, I'm struggling with this. I'm going through this. This is occurring in my life. And it's like, uh, what do we begin to do? We begin to process that information uh, through our what? Right here. Normally in these situations, what do people get from you? Somebody said it. Your solution. Where did that solution come from? Come on. Okay, very good. Your soul. I know. I got it drawn up here. Where did that solution come from? How did you come to that solution? Thoughtfully. Is that what you said, Ethel? Thoughtfully. Right? Isn't that the process? Somebody drops this bomb and you're like, oh, okay, I got to think about this, right? I got to think about it. What, what, what should I say? What should I say? What should I say? We, I, I stopped listening like three minutes ago. What should I say? What should I say? What should I say? Right? Because whatever that catch word is, whatever they drop on you, it's like, okay, now I got to figure out how do I deal with that? How do I deal with that? Right? And in, what we end up doing is we take that circumstance, we process it through our soul, and we spit it back out to them uh, with something called a solution. Is it a solution? No, it's the way you process the information they gave you. We call it a solution. That's not true. It's the way you processed the information. You thought about it, however it made you feel, and you decided this is the best way, I think, to deal with that. How much about that person do you know? Do you know the deepest crevices of their heart? Do you know the things that happened to them when they were three, four, five years old? Maybe, maybe not. Do you know what they were thinking about the previous night before they even came and talked to you? You have very little information in order to deal with the circumstances being given. How good could your solution possibly be? Not great, right? But normally to make it better, we throw some, and I'm, let me push. We throw some little Bible catchphrases in here. Our solution's not just like psychological. We don't like Freud them to death, but we, uh, like we'll say, well, uh, I think somewhere in Psalms it says that you should be joyful, Right? <laughs> The Bible talks about joy. There's joy in Jesus. Come to church. Read your Bible. Pray. God has an answer. Pray. God does have an answer. You're sitting there. Right? And we feel a lot better about what we offer them with, uh, with throwing in our, our catchphrases. But the problem is it doesn't really help. Anybody ever had the same conversation after you gave your brilliant solution about a week later with that person? It didn't work out real well, did it? <laughs> right? 
I've been there. Look, I'm drawing this because it's like, yeah, that happened to me last week. <laughs> I, know, I know what this circle looks like. But this is the way that we not just try to solve problems individually. This is the way we try to solve problems corporately, right? right? We, we, we look at, we let man evaluate the different uh, designations of men, who's poor, who's rich, who's got what, what lines are drawn. And then we go, okay, now this one means there's a problem. And we've got to figure out what that problem is and the way in which we're to approach it. And we come up with all sorts of great creative ideas within the church on how to fix people who man said were broken. Right? You guys with me? And then, bring you have Thanksgiving and Christmas. Right? And this has become our mentality. Guys, we're going we're, we're gonna to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to even just even push us as Fredonia Hill to look at ourselves. Like, Thanksgiving, lunch, today, we're going to bring food to some people. we got to check why we're doing this we got to look at the process in which we go about healing and help. Because I think we've strayed so far to what God has intended for healing and help to be that all we're simply doing is joining up with the Red Cross or the Salvation Army or the whoever else and doing humanitarian things. And even though we might say the name of Jesus, even though we might quote a few scriptures, there's absolutely none of him in it. Don't go out and like punch the guy ringing the bell, okay? I'm just... Like, you're not, you're faking. You know, don't go, don't go say that. I'm not telling you to turn on every humanitarian organization that you know, but I'm saying let's sober up. Let's recognize that we cannot, we are not capable of providing a solution of help and hope and healing in our community if that solution comes from a process of our thinking, feeling, and deciding. It will only be the way in which we process the information and spit it back out at society, calling it hope, and there's no hope in it whatsoever. You guys all right? So then what is the solution? Go to Acts chapter 9. Keep this in mind. How could we possibly be the solution? In Acts chapter 9, there's a story, and I'm, you've heard me tell this before. I love this picture, love this story. I taught it at 24-7 not, not too terribly long ago. But um, this is after Paul uh, has had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he's been blinded, right? He encounters Jesus, and, he, and he's blinded. Now, Paul, if you don't know his, uh, his name before, we, we hear him as Paul is Saul, and he's a Pharisee, and he is an intense, intense, intense Pharisee. He, he stands in Acts chapter 7, if you just flip a few chapters back, he stands and, uh, and holds the coats of the men who, who stone Stephen. He's a persecutor of the church. We might look at him nowadays, and we'd label him as a terrorist. Right? He's this extreme religious zealot that, uh, that has made it his mission in life to go find the way, which is what the church was called, to go find the way, find these followers of Yeshua, pull them out on the streets, stone them, and destroy this work of Christ. That's the man that Saul was. And he's walking along the road with his, with his well, he's riding along the road with his company of, uh, of uh, a terrorist, really. It's like Al-Qaeda, like coming down the road. And, uh, and you Okay? All right, and this light blinds him, and it's Jesus, and Jesus says, why 
are you persecuting me? And he has this tr- just dramatic experience where Jesus tells him, look, I've got grander purposes for your life than what you're in right now. And he, and he blinds him. Paul goes away uh, and he begins to process what God is doing. He recognizes that Jesus has called him out of this life that he's in and he's processing. And then this is so cool. God comes to this man named Ananias. Ananias is a believer, right? So he's one of these guys that Paul has been persecuting. He's one of these guys that's in hiding because of this man, Saul. And God says, I want you to go visit my friend, Saul. And Ananias is like, wait, that's the terrorist, right? Because I'm not going. (laughs) And we catch up with it in Acts chapter 9. I just want to read to you this little, little portion. He says, Ananias' response God tells him, I want you to go and I want you to put hands on this man and I because he's going to receive sight. I'm sending you to do it. And here's Ananias' response in verse 13. He says, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. He's like, you're not fooling me, man. <laughs> How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Think about that. Think about in a world where there's no social media, where there's no uh, quick dissemination of information. Think about how bad Paul would have had to have been for what he has done to reach Ananias. Think about the, uh, the amount of disaster that he would have caused for this news to come out of Jerusalem, this huge city to come out of Jerusalem and make it to Ananias. And he said, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And he's saying, look, man, his work is unhindered here. I heard what he did in Jerusalem, and there's nobody that's going to stop him from doing it here. And the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Man, that one would have hit him hard. He's a chosen vessel of mine to go bear my name to the ones that he has been murdering. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way, entered his house, and laying his hands on him, he said to this. And listen to the words here, man. Listen to these words. He said, brother. Come on. I mean, think about the proximity. Think about the proximity that he would have had to come to. Ananias has to go into this man's house. Carter, I'm going to use you for a second. He has to go into this man's house and get this close to a man that, that if he hadn't known before, was going to kill him on the spot. And he not only just had to say, hey, man, look, Jesus wants you to have sight and then take off running, right? And hope you're faster than him because I wear a little shorter robe, right? It's another joke. You guys are okay. All right. Look, he had to come into this proximity, and he had to put his, he had to put his hand He had to put his hand on his face. I'm not going to put my hand on your face. (laughs) I have permission, but I'm not. And and look, and and listen to this. As his eyes were scaled, you can imagine. Paul's going, who's this guy? What's happening? And he says, he says this word, brother. See, there's no us in them. See, to Ananias, when he heard that word of the Lord, when he heard the Lord say, this is whom I've called to do my great work, he went under that authority. He went under that understanding from the word of Christ, and he put his hand on this previous terrorist, on this murderer, and he said, brother. And the Lord opens his eyes. He says, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, 
as you came. Now listen to this. The Lord Jesus has sent me that you may receive your sight and what? Come on. And be filled with the Spirit. What did he bring? What did Ananias bring? He brought sight, but he also brought someone else. He brought the Holy Spirit whom he had. Whom he had, and not just in a small measure, who he had to the fullest. How do I know he had it to the fullest? Because he fully gave it away. And Ananias went, and he not only opened this man's eyes, but when he said, brother, the Lord has sent you to do this, he said, and be filled with the Spirit. And in that moment, Paul not only saw, but he was filled. Now, how much of that came from Ananias' soul? How much of it? We've got to answer the question. It is the, it is the problem plaguing us now. How much of it? None of it. The solution, the solution to brokenness, the solution to our city is not a little bit of Holy Spirit and a little bit of us. The solution is not a little bit of gospel and a little bit of us. It's not preach the name of Jesus for a little bit and then come up with our best idea on how to actually put that plan into action. It is absolutely 100%. None of us and all of him. None of what Ananias did. Are you with me? None of what he did was in and of himself. He did not come up with that. How did he know to go to Saul? He heard. Why could he hear? Because he's filled. He heard God because he's filled with his spirit. And that filling of the spirit is what enabled Ananias to not only hear, but then empowered him to go. And not only empowered him to go, but empowered him to be obedient. And not just empowered him to be obedient, but then to bring life for Saul. If we're going to be effective in our community, remember, it has to first happen individually. If we're going to be effective corporately, we have to be effective individually. If we're going to change the way we see our city, if we're going to stop blurring the lines of us and them, we have to first do that individually. So how are we to see people? Because I'm convinced, we use this quote all the time, I want, to, I want my heart to break for the things that breaks the Father's heart. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that the things that we typically ascribe to breaking the Father's heart are the things that break his heart the most. I'm not convinced that the Father's heart is broken by socioeconomic status. Am I saying that God doesn't care? No, that's not what I'm saying. Don't hear that. Am I saying that God's heart doesn't break for hungry children? That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying I don't think that his heart breaks the most for the things that we typically ascribe to his heart breaking the most. I think the thing that makes his heart break the most is not how rich or how poor we are or how hungry or how full we are. How do I know that? Because he said you're not even supposed to be filled by bread which is on the earth, but you're supposed to be filled by bread which is from heaven. How do I know that this is true? It's because he didn't call us to go feed He called us to be obedient. 
He called us to bring life. He called us to bring light. How do I know what breaks his heart the most? Because when his son was on the cross, was his greatest agony because the nails were in his hands? Was his greatest agony because the crown was on his head? Was his greatest agony because he was beaten within an inch of his life by a scourge of the men who he was dying for? Was that his greatest agony? No. His greatest agony was when he cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? What do I know? I'm convinced breaks our father's heart the most is people who do not know him is when his beloved sons and daughters are separated from him. This is the greatest cry of a father's heart to know his children. I think about it as a dad. I I think it would tear me apart if I knew my son didn't have enough to eat for a day or a week. I I I know it would destroy me. And I've walked with people in it where, where their children are in awful situations. I know it would be the most agonizing thing on a parent, but I know that there would be no greater agony than to be separated from that child. There's a lot of things I could take with my son in my arms, but there's not a lot I can take when he's not around. And so I'm convinced, guys, I'm convinced that the heart of the Father is not to fix world hunger. Does he, does, he, does he care about it? Yes. I'm convinced that the Father wants more than anything in the world, wants to be restored in relationship with his children. And how are we going to do that? How are we going to process that? Well, it's not going to be because you and I come up with the best idea. It's going to be because you and I decide that the only hope for people is God. It is the only hope for people is the Father. And I cannot come up with a way in which to give them that need. How are you going to do that? You going to package that up in a box? Put it on a doorstep? I'm being a little sarcastic here, and I probably shouldn't be. The only way that we're going to bring the Father is by being filled with him, and obedient to him. The only way that we're going to minister to a broken world is the same way that you have hope to minister to the guy next to you who you have no clue what his past is, but your father does. Our only hope for hope is right here. See, we've got to start taking a different process. We've got to start having a different approach to the way in which we view the world. We've got to start looking at Jesus and going, how did you minister? Well, what did he say? John chapter 5, 19. He only does what he sees his father do. He only says what he hears his father say. He says, I don't do anything of my own. Why? Because Jesus knew in and of his flesh, even filled with the Spirit, if for one minute he tapped into this for a solution, he would fail. So how do we do it? Well... We process what we see through the Spirit. Remember I said you got to be filled? That Spirit right there is not a capital S, even though I write in all caps. (laughs) That's little s. That's the Spirit of man. If just just Bible 101 here, this, we always say, you know, like maybe when you were saved, you, you, you thought Jesus lives in your heart. Brace yourself. He does not, all right? 
uh, he, he does not. He's at the right hand of the Father making intercession, right? This is what the Bible says. He says it says, though, that he has sent. Jesus said, it's better for you that I go because I've got a helper that I want to send. I've got one that I'm going to send. And he's not just going to be around you, but he's going to be in you, right? The prophet Ezekiel said, I'm going to give him a new spirit. And I'm not just going to give him a new spirit, but I'm also going to fill that new spirit with my spirit. So this, as believers, what we have is we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us in the inner man. The only way we're going to be a help The only way we're going to bring hope and life and peace and all these things that we're assigned to bring is if we start processing differently, is if when that guy says, man, I've been struggling with depression, we go, okay, let me just just process for a moment, God, what do you want me to say? See, that's what Ananias did. And the way Ananias brought hope to Paul, the way Ananias brought that healing to him was not by thinking about what he might do and then going and doing it. The way he brought hope was hearing the Father. See, this relationship works by faith. How do I know that? Romans says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Well, where does that word come from? Right here, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's going to teach you uh, all truth. He's going to lead you in all truth. That's why we pray at the beginning of this, Holy Spirit, lead us. And he's going to remind you about the things of me. He's going to glorify me, and I'm glorifying the Father, right? So this all works out in the end. You guys okay? So by faith, faith is not hoping for things you hope happen. Faith is assurance of things which we do not see. You know what assurance means? Like a sure thing. Assurance. (laughs) It's built in to help us out, right? Thank you, English language. So a life by faith is not this whimsical, like, man, God, I hope you really are going to talk to me today because I need you to talk to me today. A life in faith is the assurance that by the power of the Holy Spirit, I can commune with God at any hour, at any second, that he is in me and wants to reveal himself to me. And all I have to do in order to release life around me, all I have to do to bring healing, all I have to do to bring joy, all I have to do to bring hope, all I have to do is abide. Jesus said something about that in John 15, right? All I have to do is abide in the one who is in me and by faith operate by revelation in what he said. Just do what he says by faith. That's all Ananias did. Do you see how simple it is? How complex have we made this thing? We got all sorts of diagrams and charts and solutions for all sorts of problems. And I love what he said. You know that affects one-tenth of a percent of you. If you want to start bringing hope in your community, you've got to start bringing hope to people around you. And if you want to start bringing hope to people around you, you've got to start ministering to them based on the Holy Spirit. You've got to start walking by faith. Because the Bible calls uh, people who have the uh, fullness of the Spirit in them, but they live right here, it calls them carnal men. And Paul urges believers over and over in every one of his epistles. He says, please don't walk by your flesh. These two things do not get along. You understand that? Because your flesh, all it is able to do is react to the world around you. And you were not put here to be a reaction. You were put here to be a person that by revelation brings the will of God. Jesus prayed it. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've got to stop 
reacting to the world around us. We're just waiting for something new to happen, and then we're trying to figure out what we're going to do about it. How about we get out ahead of the brokenness? How about we get out ahead of the issues? How about we get out ahead of the depression? How about we get out ahead of these things and start breaking down the, the walls, the gates of hell, which we said we were supposed to advance to anyway? And start by faith, listening to the one who is in us and doing what he says. That is so simple. I know you're like, well, okay, that requires me hearing God, so that's not so simple. We've complicated the mess out of that too, and that's another 45 minutes. You think my son thinks it's hard to hear me? I promise you, in a room full of you, all shouting, I could get his attention very easily. We've practiced not listening. That's why it's hard. Just practice listening. It's your father. You were created to hear him, right? He is in you. We walk with him by faith. Let's quit reacting. John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for us, and it's a wonderful prayer. I'm going to read you a little bit of it, and then we're going to be done. John chapter 17, verse 14. It says, I have given them your word. This is Jesus speaking to the Father. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me, now listen to this. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. So what does Jesus pray here? Jesus prays that we might be set apart. Are we set apart? Absolutely. I know you're thinking, wait a minute, is that not just what we just said? We're not set apart. No, we are set apart. We're set apart by the Father. We're set apart as sons and daughters, but we're not set apart to be apart. We're set apart to be in. You understand the difference? That's, that's where a huge amount of error lies, is that sometimes we get this idea that because we're set apart, because we've been saved, because we are this elite group of believers, that we are to continue to be apart. How arrogant. Look at what you and me came from. Look at the ways in which we used to think. Look at the ways in which we used to live. Look at the bondage in which we used to be in. How dare we say that our salvation somehow keeps us from going back where we used to be. Jesus says, no, I've set you apart. I've sanctified you by my truth. I'm gonna keep you from the evil one. Anywhere I ask you to go, you are able to go in my name, but I'm setting you apart so that I can send you in because there is no us and them. It's only us. It's only men and women who were detached from their father, and some of us, praise God, by his grace, have come back into relationship with him, but some have not. And so as we have been set apart, it's time to be set in, that by uh, the obedience to the Spirit, we might bring others into that relationship. 
Ephesians chapter 2. Just listen to these words. And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Did you read those words? In verse 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You and me were once held in that bondage. You and me once walked in our natural selves according to the prince of the power of the air, reacting, trying to defend ourselves, trying to bring life, trying to bring hope, but none of ourselves able to do none of it. Paul cries out in Romans 7 and he says, who's going to save me from this trap of desiring to do good, of, see, of wanting to be connected with God, but there is no hope of it. And then he says, praise God. Thanks be to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, we were saved by him. By his grace, we have been saved. And it is that same grace, that same life that God has called us to bring to others, but we will not do it Here. As natural men or as carnal men, we will only do it in obedience to Christ. So here's my question for you. Do you know your city? How many of you know this city that you live in? How many of you walked around this city? How many of you know that Yahoo just reported a a deal that uh, about a month ago that Nacogdoches is the eighth poorest city in the nation? Now, is that to stir our hearts? I think, it, I think it might in some ways, but we have to be careful. My question is not to say that, is to go, oh my gosh, it's the eighth poorest city. We've got to do something about that. Poor, right? That's not, don't go there again. But my question is, do you know your city or do you just know your bubble? Do you know, could you name the brokenness that walks around this city? Do you know the faces that go with that brokenness? Or do you just know the bubble that you've created safety in? Have you ever just driven around? Have you ever just driven around to a place that you might not go on your way to class or you might not go on your way to work? Have you ever just gone, okay, God, you've put me in this city. I want to see it as you see it. Have you ever asked the Lord to open your eyes, to open your ears to the cries of this city? Have you ever asked God to take you uh, to parts of this city that you've never seen before and, and to show you how you might be light in life in those places? Have you ever listened on behalf of your city? See, most of us don't do that, especially college students, you don't do it. It's not a knock on you, but you have a very patterned world, a very few places in this community. I know it's, even, it's a small community, but there's only a few places you have to go. Some of you go to the grocery store, not all of you. I hadn't quite figured out how that works yet. But some of you go to the grocery store, 
most of your life, about 80% of it has lived on campus. But there's a much bigger city than just that campus. And you've been placed here with the Spirit of God in you. Have you ever gone outside of those borders and God, gone, okay, God, how do you want to use me here? In the greater context in which I see myself, how do you want to use me here? So I just, you got Christmas break coming up, you got Thanksgiving break coming up, you got dead week, you guys do nothing during dead week, just drive around, right? I'm just kidding, I know you do something good. I'm going to make people really angry today. (laughs) Our battle is not against flesh and blood, and we will not be effective as long as we see ourselves as separate only. We are separate. We are sanctified. We are set apart, but that's not, that's not for any other reason except to be sent back in. And if those two things don't wed, we will be ineffective. You guys all right? You understand what I'm saying? God, send us. God, most of this room is 25 and under. And I just... I imagine how different a city would be if a group of 25 and younger people said, Holy Spirit, we are filled with you. Now release yourself in this city. I can imagine the change that would happen in this city if this group would go to places that the rest of their peer group doesn't go if they would get outside of their borders and their walls and their comfort zones, and if they would go, okay, God, you've put me in this city. Now, Holy Spirit, lead me to a doorstep. Lead me to, lead me to the grocery store. We just heard, praise God, we just heard last week how your kingdom can come in the grocery store. Your kingdom can come all over this city. God, send us into the city. And God, we just pray that you would not allow us to operate in our own ideas. God, keep us from our desire because it's comfortable to live according to the flesh, but we live by the Spirit. You have called us to walk by the Spirit. Teach us how to, by faith, access your word, access your truth, that we might bring life to the places around us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll tell you a quick story, and then you're gonna be dismissed. The other day, this was just, it was just so cool. God, God this was, this, a lot of this comes from conviction in my own heart. Mo, all of what I say does. It's just experience that, I, that I've had, but God was just convicting me of being very wrapped up in my routine, very, very wrapped up in just the thing I do. So I go, you know, go to the office, uh, you know, do the college pastor thing, go home, uh, you know, and, and that's kind of been my routine. And God said, do you know how many houses you drive by on your way home, do you realize what you just drive through every single day and you don't even stop and give it a second thought? Have you ever thought about asking me? Now, he said it in a very kind, fatherly way. Have you ever thought about asking me about any of these homes? And I was driving home one day after just going, okay, God, you gotta teach me this. You gotta teach me, teach me, teach me. I was driving home one day uh, and, and just kind of this still, small voice and I've learned to recognize him here. He's very uh, quiet sometimes, but it's amazing how much louder he is when we're listening for him. That's a different note. But anyway, just a still small voice. I'm driving by and he said, there's a, there's a man who's sick in that apartment. Go pray. It's like, well, I don't know those people. You know, that, that 
What, what immediately begins to happen when you're a word in the spirit, we're like, okay, process here. Is that the best idea? Should I do that? Well, it's my lunch hour, so I don't want to be late back to work, right? You know? uh, so anyway, just processing, 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 and finally overcame my flesh, said, no, I will not listen to my flesh. I pulled over, knocked on the door, nobody answered. I'm like, great, flesh was right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> knocked on the door, knocked on the door, nobody answered. And then the Holy Spirit said, look up. I look upstairs, oh, there's an upstairs apartment. I'm like, oh, I'm just in the wrong one. Sorry. You know, I just, so anyway, anyway, walk upstairs. And the whole time I'm going, God, you said there's somebody in this apartment that's sick. Please let there be somebody in this apartment that's sick. You know, that's weird. But anyway, knock on the door, and this guy answers the door. And I said, okay, this, is, this may sound a little strange, but I was just driving by. I work near here, just driving by, and I, I just was praying for this neighborhood, and I felt like the Lord said, there's somebody in here who's sick, and I just wanted to come and pray. And he, with this huge grin on his face, like I thought, you know, he's going to like, you know, I don't know, throw me out, or you, you know, I don't know what he was going to say, what I thought he was going to say. We have this, always have this idea of people responding that's way outside of what is actually going to happen. And he has this huge smile lit up on his face, and he looked back in the apartment, and he said, hey, somebody's here to pray for you. I was like, all right, so this must be somebody sick. He invited me in. We, uh, he, he offered me some, some food, and we just got to, got to chat. I got to hang out with, uh, with this little boy uh, who was there, uh, and I went back into the room, and uh, this, this lady was, uh, was on the couch absolutely uh, sick as a dog. And I'm just like, okay, God, I could leave. You know, I could leave. This is cool. The sick person was here. I could just leave. You know, I guess my faith is built, right? And I just, I just said, I, uh, I know that the Lord loves you, and that's why he's sent me here. I, I just want to pray. And she said, you have no idea the timing of this moment. She said, I am very sick. I'm struggling with, and she listed, I'm not going to go into that, struggling with this, 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 and this. And this was very sick, very noticeably sick. But she said that the, the greatest sickness is in my heart. She said, I just found out that my second son, after losing my first to a life jail sentence. My second son has just been uh, arrested and will probably spend the rest of his life in jail. And she said, my, my, my heart is on the floor. I'm just out. As a mother hearing that, I'm done. And she said, and I cried out this morning to the Lord. I said, God, you've got to bring hope. And she said, and here you are. And I began to pray and it was short, and it was, and it was brief. But you know what? It wasn't me coming that said anything to her. But you know what was said to her that day? You know what was said to her in that darkest hour of her soul? God said, I see you, and I hear you, and hope is coming. Hope is me. And it wasn't about what Kendall could come up with because I just told you the story and I'm not exaggerating at all. I'm probably, in fact, I'm probably hiding more of my weakness that I could share with you. It was a tough moment for me. I wrestled and I wrestled and I wrestled. But ultimately, when, the moment when I get out of myself and the moment that you will get out of yourself, you will realize that God knows the deepest crevices of people's heart. God knows the cries of his people, even if they're not even saved. God hears his people. And he is in the business of responding. 
And I guarantee you those words felt like to her empty words. God, you've got to do something. I know that she was probably at the end of her rope. But in that moment when I came and just said, I'm here to pray, she heard something different. She heard God say, I love you. I'm here for you. There's hope in me. It's just different when God responds. It's different when God responds than when I respond. It's different when you go by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's different than when you go by Carter in the power of your flesh. It's a different world. It's different when the Holy Spirit comes and speaks to the deepest cries of people's heart. I pray that for you this week. I pray that for you and your family. Some of you, you guys, your family needs a word from God. Some of you in your families where you'll be this week and they need somebody to come and bring hope. That's where we check out the most. But some of you need your families to have a powerful word come from your mouth, a powerful prayer. Listen to him. Get out of yourself and know that's where hope comes from, all right? I pray that over you in Jesus' name. You're dismissed, not released.